episode 308 of Retro Encounter, RPG fans' weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Salosi, and here we are going to discuss a game that is simultaneously one of the most retro and least retro games we have played for Retro Encounter. Because by release date, this game came out in 2016 or 2017, but by appearances, it looks like it fits in more with 1994 or 1995. The game is Cosmic Star Heroine by Z-Boyd Games, and the panelists are myself and two others. Who are they? Let's introduce them, starting with Audra Bola. Hello. Nice to be here. Good to see you again, Audra. And Jonathan Logan. Hello, everyone. So, Audra and Jono... You're spoiled for choice on Cosmic Star Heroine. It is on basically every system that 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 you know you would be playing in the past five or six years. You, um, I'm playing the Switch version. Uh, it's on sale on Steam and PS4 all the time. I think it was on Xbox Game Pass briefly, but maybe isn't anymore. Uh, how how are you guys um, playing this game? When did you get the copy, and sort of how are you managing with it? I actually got the limited run run games copy of the vita so i've been playing it there one of the ones i didn't even mention and and jano how are you playing cosmic star heroin oh i'm just playing with boring old steam i got a uh vita ps4 copy when um when, when i gave to cosmic star heroin's kickstarter many years ago but then picked up another copy of it on switch I don't even remember when. It, I, I think last year, but I'm not 100 percent sure because it was on 80 percent off sale and was and cost three dollars. And I've I've had a disappointing, um, like 7-Eleven, uh, taquito that cost less than three dollars. So I, I did I didn't mind throwing away my money on that. So and I just like playing things on Switch. So I am playing it on Switch. When it came out in, uh, 2016. I started it, but got distracted by something else, and I never finished it. I uh, and and regretted that quite a bit. So when we decided to play it for the podcast uh, a few months ago, I was excited to finally get through it on this new Switch copy and finally cross it off my list. Uh, Audra, you got it. It's um, limited run version, which I think was a year or so after it came out. Was that were you sort of aware of it during its um, crowdfunding campaign? I was sort of aware of it, but I hadn't actually supported the crowdfunding i wasn't used to that yet so i'd been curious about it though i was following the news on it okay and uh and jana when were you sort of made aware of cosmic star heroin and uh what led you to getting it well i was following it the entire time it was in production uh i was a fan of their games before that i had uh i had the the two pack the uh breath of death seven and cthulhu saves the world two pack and i thought they were amazing games uh because they are amazing games uh, and then i played the rest of their catalog and this was coming out and i got very excited for it um i don't i didn't contribute to the kickstarter i did pre-order it though i remember that so yeah it came out and i am like you i played it for a while and then something distracted me i think um and then i just i just didn't play it for a while and then when i was applying uh to a uh i was applying to this rpg site and they requested for to be a reviewer, and they requested that I write a review for a game. And I was like, "Oh, okay." I'll you said just... you applied to RPG site. That's interesting. an RP an RPG site, huh. an RPG site. I did mm-hmm. not say mm-hmm. RPG site. I I, heard, I, heard, I know what you said. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I applied. Uh, with I wrote a review for Cosmic Star Heroine and uh, submitted it. And uh, Mike and Alana got back to me. And uh, Alana and I talked just like games for a couple hours. And so I owe, I owe my, ex- I, the reason why I'm on RPG Fan is because of Cosmic Star Heroin. 
yeah indirectly so indirectly that's also true of me but uh it goes back a little further i guess um i i started with rpg fan in 2014 and i was part of the music section and my audition piece as it were was a review of the soundtrack to Penny Arcades on the Rain Slick Precipice of Darkness 4, which is a mouthful. But uh, <laughs> that game is, uh, is Z-Boyd Games' title right before Cosmic Star Heroin. I think it came out in, in 2013. Like uh, th- Those two, uh, uh, Z-Boyd did, um, th- their first two RPGs were uh, Breath of Death 7 and Cthulhu Saves the World, which were on the, uh, the old Xbox um, indie games spotlight, which is like one level before, below Xbox Live Arcade in the, in the 2000s. And then uh, when those had a Steam release for a double pack for $3, I bought it. This was in 2010 or 2011. And, and that's how I played both of them, like uh, right when they came out on Steam. And well, let's say 2011, I think, I think is right. And I liked those so much that I've basically been following Z-Boyd ever since. And was really, really excited about uh, Cosmic Star Heroines Kickstarter and gave uh, more money to that Kickstarter than I ever have before or since to a crowdfunding campaign. Um, I, I'm not comfortable sharing on air exactly how much that was. <laughs> but uh, but I, I'm a big fan of Z-Boyd Games. Um, uh, I, again, my RPG fan audition piece was a soundtrack review from one of theirs. And the sound, that soundtrack was done by uh, HyperDuck Studios, which is a, which is two guys, uh, Chris, uh, I, I believe it's Chris and Dan, um, uh, who are uh, uh, a an, uh, an indie music studio out of Ireland, and they did the music for both uh, Ar- Penny Arcade Four and Cosmic Star Heroin. They're really, really talented, and the, and I think that Cosmic Star Heroin soundtrack is one of its strengths. But maybe we should actually talk about the game and not just how we got into Z-Boyd Games. Oh, and, oh, but listeners, uh, one last thing on Z-Boyd Games: we did do an episode on uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas, which was their um, December 2019 title. Yeah, if you want to hear our interview with Rob and Bill from Z-Boyd Games, uh, you can listen to that episode, which I think was the first or second episode of 2020. So yeah, look at look in the January 2020 catalog for our Cthulhu Saves Christmas interview with the duo from Z-Boyd Games. But let's actually talk about the game that is at the title of this episode. Uh, Cosmic Star Heroine, you start out as a secret agent named Alyssa LaSalle, and in the first mission and a half of the game or so, you're introduced to Alyssa's um, organization, which is called API, or uh, what is it? Uh, Association of, for Peace and Intelligence, or or uh, <laughs> Department of uh, Peace and Intelligence, which is a, a an ominous name for a government organization. But she, she's she's an elite secret agent, and you meet some of her secret agent friends and superiors in the opening mission in a half or so. What was your first impression playing through the game's say first two missions on uh, on Romu and Arainu? Uh, starting with you, Audra. I really, I thought the level designs were quite good. Actually, I was very impressed with that I didn't get lost in them <laughs> more often than not. And I really liked the party members. The first two, um, Dave and Chan, mm-hmm. I think her name yep. is. So I was quite taken with it at first. And Jana, what were your early impressions? Uh, well, the graphic style caught my eye right off the bat, which is the main reason why I think many people were super interested in this, because it it looks a lot like Chrono Trigger, but obviously set in a very different uh, uh, world of uh, than Chrono Trigger. And uh, in the very first mission, you get some real nice, like almost uh, lunar style anime-esque cutscenes with limited animation, but really, really nice and uh, 
really pulls you into uh, the game and shows you off these characters. So, yeah, and I was also very impressed with the battle system, which we'll get into a little bit later. But the battle system is my favorite thing about this game. And uh, I think that it could use a little bit more explanation that is given in the opening mission, but uh, we'll get into that. Yeah, uh, you guys mentioned these cutscenes, and they really are typical for cutscenes in a late Genesis uh early sega cd kind of game like lunar or the the one that jumped out at me was or the comparison that jumped out at me was fantasy star 4 uh yeah. and whether they're presented um sort of like uh, dynamic close-ups and some camera work like a little bit more uh a little bit more sophisticated than uh those uh than like those early those uh, 8 and 16 bit cutscenes, but definitely inspired by them like uh, there's a scene in uh, like a- after you escape the facility, the API facility, where you go into a nightclub and you basically get a music video that lasts oh, yeah. several, that lasts a couple of minutes. Yeah, oh, yeah, I actually really like that song <laughs> that they play for it. It's it's like you know the anime OP to Lunar One or Two on the Sega CD, but um, you know done very deliberately in the cyberpunk setting with uh mixed Japanese and English vo- vocals. It's, it's, it's the songs by Laura Shigihara, who's done a lot of game music work. And I think the character Lauren is sort of based on her or, or at least inspired by her. Uh, and Lauren is a nightclub singer that becomes Alyssa's uh, best friend remarkably quickly. <laughs> like, like they, like the, uh, Lauren goes from who are these people? Oh, nice to see you, Chan, to I am now dedicated to the cause in a matter of seconds. One uh, <laughs> one of the, you know, unusual pacing choices that this game makes. But going back way back to the beginning, um, uh, Chan, Dave, and Alyssa are on this mission in a uh, a planet that's sort of been ruined by bioweapons. Uh, the planet's called Romu, and they're investigating a facility. Uh, there's there's wild beasts and uh, cybernetic robots that can reanimate the dead. It's 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 real creepy and weird. And there's even a section where like the the lights go out that I was concerned was going into survival horror mode for a moment. And at the end, you discover some research. And some and two headsets that are prototypes for basically mind control devices. And uh, when Alyssa and her crew realizes what these are, uh, they decide that maybe their agency doesn't have uh, all of doesn't have humanity's best interests in at it, it, like at heart, even though they claim to. Um. So, yeah, that opening mission, and then. Like going from being a rah rah API secret agent to a let's steal these from our from our father organization and run away. Uh, thoughts on this? I thought it was an interesting twist. Kind of, I mean, it was a little maybe predictable, but especially considering that the API didn't seem very on the surface once you got more into them. But I mean, I. I kind of thought it was a fun kind of early 90s sci-fi plot gimmick. Yeah, it really goes from like fun spy romp to uh, like like 80s cyberpunk anti-establishment romp very quickly. Uh, John, John, do you have a similar feeling? No, it it doesn't work for me as an it's really annoying to me because I think that the opening mission is really, really well done. Uh, it teaches you all the battle systems and you get this like heroic kind of save the day thing, which really illustrates your job, what you do and your friends and the characters. And then you go to the agency and you go on another mission. But 
I it I think I feel like it happens way too damn fast. I mean, one second they are fully loyal and then they just turn real hard. And like these three are supposedly like the some of the top agents at this agency. I think that if maybe maybe if the storyline laid out that uh Alyssa was a bit of a loose cannon or someone who questions authority uh off the top or that might have worked a little bit better but literally she doesn't ask for any proof she just kind of her two friends come in the middle of the night and are like hey we dug up some very circumstantial evidence and the three of them are like let's stab our agency in the back that we all work for um it didn't work for me at all i felt that the plot twist was handled really it was just thrown in there because it felt like it needed to happen to continue the story rather than uh progressing logically and you're right. It's it's it, it's a matter of pace. I think that this game really does kick up the pace really hard, and to the detriment of a lot of story beats and characters. It but, does uh, go through things really quickly. I, I I think that jarring speed of the pace is uh, probably a deliberate choice. It, it might have even been a a, a time crunch choice because this game did come out later than anticipated. It felt like they had the story beats laid out in exactly the order they wanted. They wanted this uh this opening mission and then discovery and then betrayal and then a nightclub and then a chase and then this giant mecha battle and then joining a new organization i think i think those were planned away in advance but then building this game and developing the assets made less time like like basically the, uh each of those plot points or at least most of them seem way too fast or weird like like again when lauren joins your party she goes from being a nightclub singer and Chan's friend to a member of the revolution basically instantly. And like going to find her at this nightclub feels like a, a normal mission. Like, oh, we're in the slums now. Let's go find my friend in the slums. And then they instantly, like, like, like after one uh, medium-sized boss fight, she's suddenly part of the revolution and after this music video. And it's like when you hit these plot turns they happen so fast that it's weird and and i and, oh, and I, like I, finn yeah yeah like finn joining you like uh um all of a sudden he goes from being just your cousin to i'm a rookie cop on my first day of the job let's betray the entire country mm -hmm. yeah it's it's crazy um it, it's uh that's right after the nightclub you go to this festival <laughs> area uh, a, you meet your, you meet your cousin who's a, who's a police officer and you're like, uh Oh, he doesn't know I'm a secret agent and he might be hunting for me. This is bad. And then when the Mecca attacks, he immediately be, joins your party. And I don't think he ever leaves. He's basically just your, your, your buddy cop for the rest of the game. Pretty much yeah, your hanger on. <laughs> it's it, like, like, and also you meet a, uh, a bounty hunter. I think his name is Zorv. I could be, I'm probably saying his name wrong. Uh, Right. I think that that's it, it's whatever you. It's close enough. It All is. right, I'm I'm going with Zorv. Yeah. Um, when you meet Zorv, he fights you because you have a a bounty on your head, and then five minutes later he joins your party because the mecha you're fighting has a larger bounty on its head, and it's that is insane. Like <laughs> clearly they wanted this bounty hunter to fight you and then join you, but for it to happen in five minutes and then for him to leave again, again it's just like like. When you're in a dungeon, the plot, uh, the pace of the action is fine because it's a good battle system and pretty well-designed environments. But then when actual story happens, it is a whirlwind and it's weird. I, uh, I, 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 I don't dislike the story, but it's, I think the pacing is all over the place. 
I think the reason for that, I'm, I thought a lot about this because I, like we were talking about earlier, I was a massive fan of all of their earlier games. Um, and all of their earlier games are, while they are RPG, excellent RPGs in their own right, they are parodies and satires uh, of RPG mechanics and they're comedies. And this is not a comedy. Uh, this, they're trying to tell a, a story that is, you know, it, it's motivated, it's character driven. The problem is that I don't think that any of the plot elements, any of the twists, anything is really character motivated. It's just this needs to happen so our characters are going to do it. Um, and that's fine if you're playing a game where you can pass that character shift off with a joke uh, or where the characters are intentionally very, very thin. But this game is trying to be a little bit more ambitious than that. And I never felt, and I'm not, I know that uh, we're going to talk about further plot points later, but I don't feel that very many, uh, many of the character moments in this game are earned even slightly. Um, and it's very disappointing. But yeah, I, I think that's one of them. Actually, I think that's two of them when you talk about her, her cousin as well. And it, that, but it doesn't even need that much. Like the Lauren issue. Like all you need to do is, is add a couple of lines where she says, well, because I got in the crossfire between you, now I'm being hunted by this agency. Like put her in a position where she doesn't have a choice but to help them instead of being immediately super helpful. And yeah, maybe she earns it. Like I think she earns it's literally just that she's friends with the Chan girl. Yeah. That's yeah, she's much it. she's friends with Dave and Chan and they are ideologi ideologically aligned like they all of them believe that the government should not have mind control powers. But then um like you go from being an agent like like three elite agency agents to three to three traders to revolutionaries that recruit three other unlikely uh members into the fold because because like I'm I'm going I'm saying that about uh their handler Sue as well as Lauren, the Lauren, the lounge singer, and uh, and um, the and her cop cousin. What, what's his name again? Finn. Finn. That's right. Finn, the cop cousin. Like, like it's it's weird that these characters join so quickly uh, without any development or foreshadowing or or even sensible choices. It just happens because it needs to happen. Yeah. Again, they laid out this plot that is a semi that is a mostly serious and dramatic plot. But then they have these fast character turns, and even though this game is not a comedy on the surface, they still have, like, they they still there's still comedy writing in it, but in the form of like winks and nods, like like a like I don't know, you're watching a Joss Whedon show, and someone and and there's a line that like slightly breaks the fourth wall, or or is you know Xander saying something inappropriate when they're when they're all being chased down by demons. The the kind of writing makes the tone dissonant. Like this isn't. It's not really a comedy. It's not really a serious sci-fi RPG. It's not really a fantasy RPG. But they want to make. They try to make it all of those things because I mean we didn't really make this clear. Um, Alyssa fights with, with with uh, with a staff, and technology. Dave is a hacker whose weapons are t are tablets and can use and he uses sort of like a tech based offense. Um, both Chan and Lauren have some psychic mysticism powers. With Chan being able to manipulate right, guns. Gunmancy. Yeah. yeah, she manipulates pistols telepathically, and Lauren can has uh, like wields um, psychic knives and can uh, and, and and can like enhance her singing psychically. And while um, Finn and Zor are more like heavily armored, um, 
using tech and 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 like firearms kind of kind of powers like this game does not know what kind of game what kind of rpg it is it's definitely a japanese style rpg that borrows a lot from fantasy star 4 and chrono trigger in in terms of ideas and concepts it's not ripping off either of them really uh but it's it, it doesn't know i don't think it knows what kind of rpg it is the whole time i i've played the game and i'm only about four hours in uh i feel like cosmic star heroine really wants to be an homage and a celebration of a certain era of RPGs, but it's it sort of doesn't know what kind of game it is. is does that make sense? It makes complete sense. I think it makes that, sense. Yeah. I think that, like I was saying, I I think that, and like you were saying, they're trying to tell a serious story, but they keep making nonstop references, some subtle, some ridiculously overt. Like I remember when we were. Uh, when we were betraying the agency and we're going, we're crossing this big, big, big bridge going to the right. And we're about to go down into like the dungeons of the API to recover this thing. And I remember as I was running across the bridge to the right, I thought, I bet I'm going to fight a friggin' mechanical dragon on my way back across yep. this bridge the other way. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happens. Um, it's the dragon tank from Chrono Trigger very overtly. Yeah, it's it, they just took the beat wholesale and they put it in, even though that beat wasn't earned. It wasn't, it just was, it's there. It's a reference for no reason. And there's a few other moments that, I, one of them, the most overt, which you've gotten to, is the uh, the festival. Yeah. The festival is just, it's it's the, it's oh, the money yeah, fair. It's the Chrono Trigger. Yeah, it's, it's the fair. Like, that's what it is. But there are more later, especially one, Mike, when you see it, you'll go, oh yeah, that's the... I know exactly what that's a reference to. And it keeps happening throughout the game. Um, sometimes with games that don't even have anything to do with RPGs or this specifically. Yes, there's one where I swear they were doing a Resident Evil. Yeah, it's the it's Finn's side quest. Yep. And it's just, the, uh, well, it's, it doesn't matter. It's not really a spoiler because it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. You literally just go to a police uh, you go to a police station and you're in a Resident Evil game. But there's nothing about it that is a Resident Evil game. There's just like mild references, like there's a door that you have to open by uh, using two, notes and yeah, using notes and two like jewel eyes and a statue and but it doesn't. And you have com- to fight it, zombies. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a reference. It doesn't comment on it. It doesn't do anything. It's just like ah, yeah, it's Resident Evil. Um, and and, and correct me if I'm wrong because I don't think I've gotten here yet. But eventually, do you get a spaceship and you're able to travel between two or three planets with varying levels of technology and civilization on them? Indeed, you do. Yeah, yes. that, is, that is pure Fantasy Star Four. I mean, that is exactly what that game is in the second half. And well, I think I saw a cutscene or some promotional about it. That, that that when I when I played Fantasy Star Four for the first time, embarrassingly recently, it was right around a year ago. Um, yeah. for this podcast, in fact, I I like I like oh so okay, Cosmic Star Heroine is more Fantasy Star Four than I realized it was. Um, and so like it, it wears these uh, influences on its sleeve. Um, and, it, but they also, their other influence, and this doesn't really count probably, is, uh, Z-Boyd Games' previous games, because this mm-hmm. is a refinement of the battle system from, uh, the likes of Penny Arcade 3 and 4 that might be the best version of it yet. I think, I think it's probably even better, uh, Cosmic Star Heroines might be better than, uh, than Cthulhu Saves Christmases, which I thought was great. Like Chrono Trigger, enemies, um, exist in screen and there's no cutaway, for a specific battle screen, uh, which which is actually implemented pretty cleanly, yeah, I um, think so and, too. and 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 uh, and there's things like area of effect, 
area of effect skills and in, in an otherwise just you know pausing for battle interruption uh action combat that you know wouldn't be out of place in a lunar or a grandia and also you have you can see the character uh turn order to the um in a, in a meter and manipulate turn order by um by by you know messing with uh character speed stats or by stunning enemies or um uh, bothering them with other status effects that that's very very grandia um and a lot of other uh, uh some of the previous uh, Z-Boyd battle systems do that as well. But this is a pretty great version of it. There's no MP, uh, but you, you can use it, you can use a skill once before you have to recharge it with a recharge skill that you know refreshes a character's entire moveset. You equip a loadout of abilities um, uh, in separately before battle. And uh, you the item system is also sort of loadout based and but uh, you items are finite within battles but infinite outside of battles like you you decide to equip i don't know the the buff z and two potions and you can use the two potions and the buff z in battle but then in the next battle they're they're refreshed again and uh and also there's a a, a battle sort of a, an element of battle called programs that are like extra skills that that uh players learn but instead of learning them through levels they're uh they're attached to a character's armor and their and uh but their hackitude stat determines the the uh, their effectiveness and how many skills are on them so characters with high hackitude like dave if you equip them with powerful shields that'll give him a lot more skills and and so with a with a character that's well, let's say a character like Alyssa, who's pretty versatile um you can like focus on your shield programs you can focus on an, on an item based build by giving her a shield like alchemist that increases the effectiveness of items or you can have her strictly work within her own ability skill set and the game really wants to make physical attacks elemental attacks status attacks and support attacks equally viable they really really tried to balance out this battle system and give players a ton of options and i think they were successful at that I, yeah. yeah i agree 100 i think the battle system is the best thing about the game do you have a uh, do you have a favorite strategy or favorite character's uh, kit? Hmm. Saibi. I love yeah, Saibi. I, I don't you, think you I've met I don't think I've met Saibi yet. What what are they like? Oh, he's a um cybernetic bug creature. Awesome. But he's a, he's a scientist and he has songs that he continuously plays that will boost stats or affect yeah. enemies. So does he have a song shield exactly like Lauren, or is his different? I think his is actually different. It's almost like, if I'd say, like the dancer route in a Final <laughs> Fantasy game. Okay, so like mm -hmm. Lauren's like a bard and Saibi's like a dancer. Mm -hmm. is, yeah, is, 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 that, is that fair? I'd say so. Okay, because yeah. I, I have used Lauren for quite a while already in the game, but I haven't met Saibi yet. Yeah, actually, I use both of them in my party a lot. <laughs> I mean, status effects in this game are extremely important. I mean, you can play through a Final Fantasy without ever casting a status yeah. effect once, either on your party or on the enemies. But if you don't do it smartly in this game, you're going to get killed, especially if you play it on some of the higher difficulty levels. This isn't a game where you can mindlessly press fight, 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 and expect to get through. If you try, you're just you're going to die. Thankfully, when you do die, the it just instantly restarts at the beginning of the fight again so you don't have to deal with save points or things like that and, and you can save it any uh save anywhere outside of battle um and, and again characters have so many different ability loadouts that the the customization of it can get pretty crazy uh Alyssa does have some pretty awesome skills later on okay i, I like, probably haven't found all of them yet but she's already a powerhouse like yeah she, uh, 
like she can cast water skills, has some staff skills like stunning enemies and a boost skill, and probably the best shield because her teamworks her the teamwork ability is hella strong in the five to ten fights I've used it in so far. Because <laughs> I, I yeah, only, her unity. Yeah, I I only just got the heroin shield that unlocks unity attacks. Um, but but things like um like Dave being a good uh if you use Dave's regular ability loadout, he has a bunch of anti-robot skills because because robots, organic enemies, and spectral enemies each have a different dedicated status effect that they're vulnerable to. So like so uh, it, it's it's poison for organics and rust for ro- for uh, for robots. And and Dave has a bunch of anti-robot moves, but he also has the highest tackitude stat in the game. So giving him a good spell casting shield like like dark or uh or um or techno mage it makes him basically a really the big game's best black mage um <clears throat> and making choices like that and tinkering like that is one of my favorite things to do in an rpg and cosmic star heroine's really good at it which makes me just want to keep playing more of the game to unlock the full team so i can you know finally live my tinkering dreams but i, I again i haven't quite gotten there yet so so far Using him to like debilitate someone and then have Alyssa take over damage control is pretty it's a pretty good move set afterwards. Yeah, I, I like that he's also your team's geomancer because he can he has a uh, one of his regular abilities uh, has a different effect based on the environment. And uh, my favorite thing to do is for a while I had uh, Chan equipped with some stuff that gave her that put her in hyper mode at the start of the battle and gave her focus at the start of the battle uh, by equipping a specific weapon and accessory to her. Focus mean makes her gunmancy all targeting. And so with my first two turns, I would have Dave booster with a buff Z then uh, Alyssa boost her with Inspire, and then Chan deal like 350 damage to all enemies yeah. with one of the guns. So like, like that's just a very, very basic example of the kind of battle, uh, like, like the kind of battle system manipulation you can do in this game. And uh, again, I think I've only met seven characters, and there's at least one I haven't met in Saibi, and I, I believe there's more after him. So yes, there's a PI. You haven't met, uh, you haven't met the android yet. I Correct, I have not. And the PI, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Uh, and then I think the bounty hunter comes back. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Zorv the bounty hunter. Yeah, I, I figured he would. Um, and of course, we have a uh, a visor wearing uh, mysterious. Oh, the the leader of the rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. Arite or Ariti, whatever we say about about them. Um, yeah. I, I noticed that she wields drones. Like she has two drones that fly alongside her, so I assume that's part of her kit. But other than that, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to have her join the party too. The more the merrier. Bring it on. Yeah, I think part of the reason why there was some criticism of the battle system early on, I think it's because super, very, very superficially, it looks like Chrono Trigger. It looks like Chrono Trigger's battle system, but it's it's not. Literally, the visual is the only thing that this really has. I mean, yeah, fusion abilities, but. Like, enemies don't move around the map by themselves, uh, and neither do you, so it's not like you... So, area of effect attacks are very dependent on where people are located. They start there, that's where they end. It's not ATB. It's There's a very specific turn order, and the reason for that is just uh, the battle systems in these games are all like puzzles. It's a bit like a puzzle game, actually, and there are a lot of different solutions to it, but you gotta figure out the right combination of skills, abilities, how to use them... Uh, when to to turn it on uh in order to win consistently i think that's amazing i think that's like i said the best part of this game yeah you can play the game with you know all four characters going all out or on offense 
or have one dedicated support character with the other three going on offense. Or there's, uh, I know that Lauren has an ability and Sue has an ability that gives them extra points towards hyper mode. So you could try to base the game on having Sue or Lauren, well, it was easier for me with Lauren, to have her enter hyper mode almost every other turn and have the rest of the team mostly just throw buffs at, at her so she could deal as much damage as possible. Like, and, 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 and you sort of, you know, like build your, uh, uh, build your offense around, around characters entering hyper mode at the opportune time. There's, there's so many angles to play that you will definitely, you, the player will definitely find one that's at least interesting. And, uh, and I, I don't think I've, I've, uh, I think I've, I've had one character fall in battle one time because I had, I had, f- uh, stopped, I had stopped noticing their health bar at one point, but I, even, and I'm playing on the, I, th- I think average difficulty is like the second highest one. Um, not not the hard mode, the one below the hard mode. And I, I I've never really been challenged in this game. It's a uh, like maybe it's because I've played a hundred JRPGs, but just using, just like reading all the skills and using your JRPG interest uh, instincts, I think is more than enough to get you through. But the battle system, it, it's really fun. It has the Grandia turn manipulation with the Chrono Trigger spacing and visual representation. And and, and uh, uniting skills like a Chrono Trigger or a couple Fantasy Star games and and previous Z-Boyd games, it, it's it, like uh, the kitchen sink approach to the plot and setting doesn't totally work, but I think the kitchen sink approach to combat mostly does work. I think they've gotten very good at refining their type of combat over the over all of their games. Yes, uh, and I think that Cosmic Star Heroine is where they decided to take a big step up, uh, and they did. Uh, they did with this and that that will you know it follows with the battle system in uh cthulhu saves christmas is based on this while incorporating many of the mechanics from cthulhu saves the world like insanity and stuff like that and presumably they will carry it with them into the next game that they create and i have not looked this up but i know because uh z boyd enjoys referencing their own stuff to a degree i I did notice pause a character from cthulhu saves the world is an alien cat in this game um And, and and pause. It was inspired by a staff member at rpgamer.com. That was a kick that gave to the original Kickstarter of Cthulhu Saves the World, which was again a Kickstarter game, um, before but uh, before Double Fine Adventure, one of the early 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 successes on Kickstarter. Although it, it had a, a very low amount it was going for. Um, that I'm sure that some combination of Dem. Cthulhu and Molly will like at least one or two of them will be super bosses or a final or a final <laughs> secret character. Like I guarantee it. Oh, you um, think? Oh, well, maybe. Uh, I'm not gonna spoil that sure. for you. I'm, I'm, I, you don't need to spoil anything. I, I know at least one of them is gonna be in the game. Um, probably at the very very end or at an early part of the game, but you could only access them from the end or something. Like I, I think this game is at least delivering on combat variety and character variety, even though the story and tone is weird and does not totally work um again the point i am right now is i i just uh found the revolutionaries base I, i've joined their side i've met aridi formally and not just in a cutscene. and the base had just started going under attack mm-hmm. i did like two or three battles and then saved and quit because it was at a very uh a very irresponsible hour when, when i uh, when i stopped oh and, and speaking of that underwater base that's right after the mecha fight and they have uh-huh. you go to a uh, a water purification uh, center, which is weird because that's kind of like the facility I work in in real life. Uh, and then, and but then you're suddenly at the base, and I, we're, we're 
is this just me or was it, were either of you also sure that was a dungeon that was cut from the final version of the game? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought that. But uh, but it is a big spot on the world map, and uh, the world map, at least the one that we see on planet Arainu, is a big sort of messy uh, cyberpunk citadel of sorts. Yeah, it uh, it sort of looks. It, it's interesting how they've uh, it's interesting how they've if they've gone about this. Like I mean, in uh, Penny Arcade three, uh, the overworld was kind of done like a Mario a mario world style and then in four they moved to a final fantasy three or final fantasy six style overworld and in this it's moving to a very chrono trigger inspired overworld right uh, there's it's a uh, characters yeah it, it, instead of having a town represented by a square with vast spaces of emptiness there's obstacles and texture to the world map that i, I think it's a pretty nice looking world map although I, I wish sometimes it was a little bit easier for me to tell which doors i could enter and which ones i couldn't but maybe yeah. that's just me being uh, being brain poisoned by uh, RPGs of the 2010s. <laughs> I think it looks really good. In fact, all of the world maps look really, really good. Um, I thought the designs were pretty good overall for the entire game. Yeah, I mean, the, there's a reason why this game earned so much money in Kickstarter, and that's because it it's look. And I don't just mean the fact that it looks like Chrono Trigger, although that obviously helped. But also, character designs are sharp, they're engaging, uh, everything from the world map to locations. It just, it's a real looker of a game, uh, especially if you like retro pixel art. It's, it's a, just fantastic examples of that across the board. And winding this way back to about uh, 35 minutes ago or so, um, uh, the two members of Z-Boyd Games that basically made this entire game, Rob does all of the uh, uh, gameplay design, and, and most of the writing and most of the sort of character ideas. But Bill is the artist who builds all the art, he builds all the art assets, does all of the finer tu fine tuning of, of visual design for characters and settings. And I really think this is Bill's strongest effort uh, fully. Bill Sternberg is, the, is his name. Because like in terms of just what are on the dungeon maps and the texture of the world map, and how many frames of animation each character has is way beyond their first four RPGs. Yeah. It takes a lot of... I think it takes a lot of uh, talent to uh, create something that invokes Chrono Trigger, frankly, but doesn't... I, I don't feel that the graphic style uh, rips off Chrono Trigger in any way, shape, or form. Everything looks original. Even things that are like one-to-one -one references, like the the fairgrounds, uh, still have their own very identifiable, unique look to them. Um, so I, the game looks like Chrono Trigger, but it isn't Chrono Trigger, and that that takes a lot of skill to do, especially with pixel art. Yeah, I, I think this is a clear case of of homage without being a ripoff, and a lot yep. of that, a lot of the reason for that is these are art assets developed completely from scratch. Uh, some some. Uh, uh, critics of the of this game and and most of Z-Boyd's games accuse it of being an RPG maker game, uh, which is not true for any of them. All of their games since Breath of Death Seven have been built on proprietary engines. I think maybe uh, Rob uh, uh, Robert Boyd might have made an RPG maker game before Breath of Death Seven, or, or maybe his his uh, text adventure was in a it, it wasn't built from the ground up. But Cosmic Star Heroines art and engine and everything was built in Unity from scratch. So even though it definitely evokes uh, Chrono Trigger with its battle arrangement in this world map, 
and its sprites evoke the likes of um, of Lunar and and say uh, late era 16-bit RPGs. It's it's not ripping off any art assets. There's no theft here, but there's no, definitely it's all inspiration. Original. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the, definitely inspiration, but no ripoff. Um, but and one other thing, I, I guess I lied when I said that the game was made entirely by Robert Boyd and Bill Sternberg because neither of them are music composers. And uh, Hyperduck Studios did the music for this game. We mentioned that near the beginning of the episode, and I think they did an incredible job. I really really like the soundtrack here it's they're it's it's more muted than their flying guitars and rpg uh, uh are very like and, and sort of environment driven music that was in penny arcade 4 which is maybe my favorite soundtrack they've done but uh this is a bunch of tracks you're not seeing a ton of repetitive music except for maybe the regular battle theme which you do hear a lot but that, i mean that i mean that's that's rpgs for you uh and uh, a, a lot of characters have de- uh, have dedicated themes. There's that one um, song with lyrics that's sung by Laura Shig- uh, Laura Shigihara in the nightclub. Like, I think the audio presentation of this game is great. I think it's pretty strong. I don't. Uh, to be completely honest, the music it doesn't do a ton for me. I didn't find any songs to be uh, annoying, uh, and I, I I think the battle theme was fantastic because, I mean. There are some battle themes and some RPGs that after you hear it a hundred times, you want to pull out your hair. This never, this never felt like that to me. But there were no songs in the game for me which evoked any uh, emotional reaction from me. It didn't. It, and I think that might be a problem when you combined with the paper thin characters. Uh, it, it just, it, music for me in RPGs should really make me feel things. And this, this, the music in this game didn't make me feel anything. It didn't. I didn't hate it. I thought it was perfectly fine but i didn't i didn't love it mike i mean i thought it was catchy the most i, I actually really want to get the lauren song <laughs> well right okay, uh, yeah that song yeah that rocked i i think that uh this might be your musical theater background showing up a little bit jano because um because i don't like, know what you mean <laughs> like for when 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 music and action complement each other perfectly whether it's uh in a video game or a film or in professional wrestling or maybe most clearly in musical theater is like when the action and dialogue and music are coordinated perfectly that then it can really elicit an emotional response yeah whether it's whether whether it's it's joy or sadness or or what have you and i think the sort of the the disjointed nature of the writing and characters the the puzzle pieces between the the that and the audio doesn't don't quite fit together i mean I mean, n- not not everything can be as powerful as hearing Edge's theme at the 2019 Royal Rumble, but I mean, what is honestly? Uh, I I ask myself that every day. Yeah, and he's a he's a proud Toronto native. He's your your favorite wrestler, of course. I mean, I think it the music fits the aesthetic that they were yes. going for pretty well. It fits the setting, spe- especially when you hear their like their like very synth wavy stuff in the mm-hmm. cyber in the cyberpunk parts of the game, definitely. I feel like I'm coming down really hard on this game and I it's it's just there's there's so much good in this game and I never I don't feel like it comes together into a cohesive whole very much like you said Mike. Yeah, it's I, I don't... it's it's maybe slightly less uh well it's like, like the sum of it's okay. You want a game to be greater than the sum of its parts and I feel like this game might be less than the sum of its parts. It's enjoyable but maybe not the the pinnacle. <laughs> I mean, the problem is that, like, Chrono, a mute character, has more characterization and better character development than almost anyone in this game. Um, 
And I mean, not everyone, I mean, the dream team created Chrono Trigger. And I suspect that's another problem is that if you're going to create a, an homage to games like Fantasy Star 4 or Chrono Trigger, people are going to be comparing them to those. And those are two of the greatest RPGs of the 16-bit era. Yeah. Those, that's, I, a re- that's hard to measure up to. I, I think that was the problem I had the game with the game when I first tried to play it in, uh, let's say, 2017. I, I feel like Cosmic Star Heroine is a little bit of a victim of its own hype. Because uh, like Robert Boyd was at the forefront of all of this, saying, uh, talking about his influences and uh, and how he this is like one of this game might be his platonic ideal of a of a a sixteen bit JRPG. Uh, I, I had an unreasonable amount of hype going into this game, and uh, I the reason I fell off it several, a few years ago was because it didn't live up to the hype. And I again I have not finished it yet. I'm enjoying myself more now than I was in 2017 i think because i have more reasonable expectations uh and and also just i mean i coming off of me breaking my brain a little bit playing nocturne and great ace attorney and persona 2 back to back like knowing that this game was only going to be 15 hours just was just made me more excited to play it (laughs) um well I, i mean i was just more i was curious about the game but i hadn't really had any expectations so i think maybe i'm just sort of like oh it's fun but I mean, that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this being your first Z-Boyd game and Jono and I having these specific expectations and me giving uh, quite a bit to the Kickstarter campaign like did affect my feelings about it, mm-hmm. especially, especially the first time I tried it. But now that my expectations yeah. are more grounded, I'm enjoying it more. And I frankly can't wait to get to the spaceship part of the game because that's one of the best parts of Skies of Arcadia, which might also be an influence for this thing, that like recruiting shipmates to a... Uh, uh, for an RPG journey, or members of your Castle Town in Suikoden, but those are two of the best parts of those games. I mean, I mean, I, Audra, I know you're a Suikoden lady, isn't isn't that right? Yes, I quite like the little. I mean, it's not as in depth as the Suikoden right, you, series, but it's quite fun to just have people. You're talking to people, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, hey, if you're on the, I'll join you on your ship." Yeah, no, it, it's. I'm not saying this is uh as deep as gathering the 108 stars but but a for that to be a persistent side uh side quest is a fabulous idea and i can't wait to actually engage with it myself but i haven't reached the spaceship part of the game yet you're um, almost there I'm, yeah, you know, you're I, almost I, there. I think i probably am pretty soon it's i, I wasn't um I, I'm, not, I'm not upset by that I know, I know i have quite a bit of game ahead of me so i but i am mostly looking forward to it and unlike 2017 i will and unlike september of this year (laughs) i will actually see this one all the way through to the end but uh speaking of seeing it all the way through to the end i think we're mostly done with today's discussion of cosmic star heroine we're going to go into story end game and a more detailed character discussion and talk about this alleged spaceship uh in part two guaranteed but i'm not quite (laughs) and including cybe and this android pi i i think um if i if i interpreted if i interpreted you correctly earlier in the episode but yeah um I will meet these people and we will talk about them next week, but for now let's live in the present. Um, uh, thank you listeners for joining us in this part one discussion of cosmic star heroin, a game that I have been slightly ignoring for the past several years because of a combination of being busy as hell with a podcast and slightly disappointed in, in, uh, in my first experience with it. But uh, hopefully 
you don't find this game as disappointing as uh, as Jono did, or m- maybe you went in with exactly the right amount of expectations, almost zero, like Audra did. But we'll we'll see how uh, how this plays out in part two next week. But uh, after next week, we're going to be finally entering November. Uh, we are going to stay in the world of science fiction for a little bit for with two episodes on Star Trek adventure games. And Jono, what? you you are perhaps the perfect encapsulation of the center of the Venn diagram of Star Trek and adventure games. So uh, w- what are the two games we're playing uh, vis-a-vis Star Trek next month? All right. Well, yeah, we're playing. Uh, we're playing. There were two Star Trek adventure games that were released uh, years ago. Uh, Star Trek 25th Anniversary and Star Trek Judgment Rights. Um, both of them star the original cast of the original series doing their own voice acting. So, like, everyone's there. Oh, uh, so, so this is, like, f- perhaps 30 years after the fact? Yeah, this would have been around the time of Star Trek VI. Well, okay, never mind. One of them's literally called 25th Anniversary, so I can I think, I guess I can figure out how many years it's been. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> around there. I should have noticed that ahead of time, but here we are. Yep, and uh, it's... It's great hearing some of the characters. Some of the characters do a better job of others, you know, when they're just doing voice acting. Um, and the sto- the game is much more along the lines of Sierra rather than Lucas Arts. Um, but there's a lot of uh, interesting mechanics in the game. There's at the end of each mission, because each the game rather than being like one long narrative is split into various episodes, just like uh, just like the series. So at the end of each episode, at the end of each mission, you get graded based on the choices you've made in that episode, based on the dialogue choices, based on whether or not you let your red shirt die, uh, things <laughs> like that. So someone uh, gets mur- so someone is divided into anime episodes, and someone gets murdered at each one. So this is basically Don Gun Rampa before Don Gun Rampa. Got it. Ex- exactly, and I think that I think that if one thing could make that better, it would be Shatner. So. Uh, yeah, so I'm super excited to play this. Uh, I I played them years and years ago, so I've been playing through 25th Anniversary. I'm almost done. I'm going to get to Judgment Rights. And uh, yeah, I, I, we have quite a few int- people who are uh, enthusiastic fans who are going to be joining me for these episodes. So it's going to be super exciting. All right, so uh, listeners, you will hear, uh, find out exactly which members of RPG fan staff are at, uh, ardent Trekkies in a couple of weeks. But at an almost opposite end of the narrative uh let's say a uh, non-traditional narrative spectrum. Um, we're doing two episodes on East origin in November. That is a really, really great Nihon Falcom RPG from the mid two thousands. It takes place entirely in a single dungeon. Basically you pick a main character and then you got to climb that tower uh, with, you know, maybe some, maybe a real missing in that film that I just described, but there's a, uh, it's a, it's a really, really solid action RPG that I played for the first time. Oh boy, in, in 2014 or 2015, I'd have to look at my blog and find out the year I played six East games in three months. But uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to revisiting that one. It is our first East uh, episode since the Oath and Felgana episodes that we did, I want to say two and a half years ago, but I don't understand the passage of time anymore, so I'd, uh, I'd have to check the archive for that as well. Um, but uh, Audrey, you're going to be joining me on those, aren't you? Yes, have you, have I'm you looking played, forward to it. Have you played East Origin before? I played a little bit of Unica's route. Mm-hmm. That counts. But, and then I stopped due to time constraints and stuff. So totally I'm looking forward to restarting hers just to see what happens in it. Awesome. And uh, again, uh, it, it's a very dungeon crawly, boss fighty kind of RPG, but an extremely good one of those. So I'm looking forward to see how uh, well or poorly it's aged since I played it. I'm looking forward to the music. Oh, oh yeah, Nihon Falcom uh, uh, sound team. 
always does an incredible job. And I, and I like their East music even more than their trails music. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and this was, uh, this was East before it had become increasingly trailsified, which is, you know, my, a slight issue that I have with East eight and nine, which are, are games that are uh, two games I really like, but I, I, but I worry are sort of a bit too much of a departure from, from my favorite era of East, which, it, which East origin is right in the middle of. But anyway, uh, that that's two episode on two episodes on Star Trek adventure games in the first half of November, then two episodes on East Origin in the second half of November. That's what Retro Encounter is doing in November. But uh, listeners, if you are joining us for October, November, or any date in the past or future, the best way to uh, interact with us other than listening to the podcast is to email retro at rpgfan.com. You can also comment on rpgfan.com's message boards, visit our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter, our Discord, our YouTube, our Twitch channel, something streaming every day on Twitch, something new every day on the main website. Please interact with RPG Fan however you choose to, uh, RP, in, including with our other three podcasts. Uh, first of all, Random Encounter every two weeks, mostly about randomness, and you, often hosted by you, Jono. Yes, on Mondays. Every second Monday. And every second second Monday is Rhythm Encounter, our podcast about RPG music that has a variety of hosts and topics and soundscapes that is always a brilliant listen every time it posts. Uh, and uh, the, the our third podcast is our partner podcast, Phoenix Edge, hosted by Hatton Eric, usually uh, streamed on YouTube every week and about a wide variety of topics, sometimes current events, sometimes game specific, always something interesting to discuss in Phoenix Edge. You can review Retro Encounter or those three other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, however you are listening to us. Please listen, please provide feedback. We'd love feedback. But if you want to reach out to us individually and not as a website, how do you do so? Let's tell them, starting with you, Jono. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jono underscore Logan, uh, or you can fire me off an email at uh, jlogan at rpgfan.com. And Audra, how can listeners find you? You can find me on email at, R- at audrab at rpgfan.com. And listeners, if you want to find me, the easiest way to do so is probably Twitter. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. I'm also Solosi at RPGFan.com, but I sometimes forget to check that email, and when I do check it, it has like 300 entries from email lists from from four E3s ago. So, like, <laughs> yeah, Twitter and and Discord, I'm more likely to respond than email. Uh, but uh, I, I do check um, Retro at RPG Fan uh, every couple of days, so that is definitely a good way to reach us. But uh, let's see if I can find the right way to reach the end of this game uh, it, by next week. Thank you, good night, and good luck. <laughs>